Hey friends, you're listening to Changing the Conversation, a podcast by African Leadership and the Mocha Club, where we take time to sit down and explore topics to challenge our perspective in pursuit of better loving people and the world around us. Hey there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to Changing the Conversation. I'm your host, Fallon Klug, as always, and with me is my co-host, Emily Blackledge. You know, it might be a Tuesday today, but we're pretending it's a Sunday because we're taking you to church. Kidding. Well, kind of. I say that because our guest today is a pastor. And in fact, it's both my and Emily's pastor, Randy Drawn. Randy pastors a church here in Nashville called Midtown Fellowship. And we've brought Randy in to chat with us because he's traveled to Africa many times. And we kind of want to know why he keeps going back. We chat about his experience with African pastors and what he has learned about the global church from his African brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Great to be We're here. We're really excited you. to have yeah. you here. You are a local pastor here in Nashville. I am. You're our local You're pastor. The surprise of many, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where I want to start. It is a surprise to people who know you that you are a pastor. Like, you're just so normal and relevant and fun. Did you grow up thinking you were going to be a pastor? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, I mean, I think that's part of what makes you so normal or relevant as a pastor is that you don't come from this long lineage of Bible-believing pastors that grew up in the South and, you know, ran the ba- local Baptist church. Yeah, there's a big part of me that would love to have come from a lineage that had it all together. That would have been kind of really? great. Yeah. A healthy home. Mm. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. How did you stumble into or step into this role as a pastor? Uh, yeah, I became a Christian after high school at Young Life Camp, which um, a lot of people did, but I'd never heard of Young Life and kind of got hijacked to one of their camps, and <laughs> I'd really never met a Christian. So that was a whole new experience for me. And when I came back from that, God was just changing my life so dramatically and awakening uh, just dreams in me that I didn't know were possible. And one of those dreams was to explore um, the loves that God gave me, and one of them was for animals. And so I began to pursue a career in becoming a veterinarian, hmm. worked with veterinarians, worked on farms, and wow. worked a lot with cattle. And it wasn't till my junior year in college that I got involved in youth ministry. This oh, was okay. Young Life's Wildlife. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was so much fun, and it was so exciting, and I got so much out of seeing God work in kids' lives that I went back to my home church and said, I I don't know what a call is. And they were great. They were like, well, you come work for us this summer, (laughs) and we'll tell you whether or not you're (laughs) called. Tell you what you're calling (laughs) us. And uh, so I realized at that time that that was slave labor. And (laughs) uh, yeah, that was manipulated into the gospel. And uh, (laughs) So those guys really encouraged me to, at the end of that summer, to pursue ministry and um, did that in youth ministry after college for about 15 years. And it wasn't until after the end of that season of youth ministry that uh, the Lord put a call on me to be a pastor. Hmm. So I was never intended to be a pastor. I thought, I'll do youth ministry for a season and then I'll get on with my life. Um, And the Lord said, no, this is your life. Wow. That's exciting. So I actually had, uh, like, I'm the pastor of Midtown and started Midtown, but I had to get ordained to start Midtown. Oh, interesting. that wasn't part of the plan in my mind at all. Hmm. Huh. 
That's impressive that the Lord just took your whole life in a direction you never saw coming. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the story of my life. <laughs> the uh, we don't know what's around the corner. Yeah. <clears throat> we just know we're going fast and it's coming. Mm-hmm. So you've stumbled into some pretty interesting corners around the corners in your life. You've traveled a lot. Yep. It was that all part of youth ministry? Did, was that where traveling abroad started for you? Yeah, you know, a part of youth ministry, you know, thirty years ago was the infamous summer mission mm-hmm. trip. And so we created this um, whole strategy for our junior high kids that we would take them in country and give them experiences serving the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the mm-hmm. poor, and giving them kind of a little taste of what life is like outside of their affluent communities. Mm-hmm. Right. But as they got into high school, we started taking them out of the country and exposing them to third world countries, starting locally like with Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And then eventually to Africa. So we uh, spent time in Zimbabwe and Swaziland and South Africa, taking these kids over there not just to expose, but also for them to serve and mm-hmm. to teach and to care and to help bring leadership to the churches there. So yeah, being in youth ministry has taken me all over the world. Yeah, it yeah. does that. Yeah, does I, I'll that. never forget, we were training a group of high school kids and how to share their faith. And uh-huh. so we took them to London for a week. Oh, man. We, yes, wow. and here's the crazy thing is we were working with London City Missions, which is one of the oldest missions in London. I think huh. it's like a 1,000 years old, you know? And uh, wow. so they do street preaching and street evangelism. So literally we were taking these kids to train them in, in evangelism by throwing them into the middle of the streets of London right? Wow. and telling them to share their faith. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was with this one girl who, uh, if you could get a poster child for upper middle class, highly educated, uh-huh. very white student, she was it. She <laughs> was just the sweetest, most lovely, young high school girl you could possibly imagine from Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh-huh. And uh, we turned the corner one day and we were walking and we came up on a group of goth students. Mm. These were teenagers that were all dressed in black and their faces were white and they had black lipstick. Uh-huh. And um, I leaned over to her and said, I think we need to engage them in the gospel <laughs> and you're going to do the sharing. Oh, oh wow. And uh, so it was crazy because I could tell you how that went, but it, it was hard and crazy and beautiful, mm-hmm. but it set a course for Rebecca's life that um, even today she has dedicated her life to caring for the disenfranchised, the marginalized, huh. and... It started on that corner in London where she realized maybe she was capable of more than she thought she was. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, those are some great stories. It is usually the case that it's something, it's stepping into fear or struggle or what feels chaotic where you kind of recognize that maybe the Lord has something here for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe this shapes who I become. Yeah. Um, we kind of have to get out of our do. comfort zone, mm-hmm. don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Move outside the margins of what we think is possible. Mm-hmm. So of all the places you've traveled, what do you? Where do you love? Where do you go back? I mean, I know part of your answer, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's only Uganda, or is wow. is it only Uganda? Do you travel abroad much anymore? You know, there are a lot of places that I want to go to, mm-hmm. 
that I would like to love them so much that the Lord would allow me to go to them about every <laughs> Tahiti, four weeks. Tahiti, Bali. Bali. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so great. Oh beaches. beaches. <laughs> right. Warm, I feel warm really beaches. called to the beaches. Right now I feel called. <laughs> uh, the Lord tends to, uh, or has in um, the past 20 years, uh, taken me back to Uganda uh, many times, and primarily up to Gulu. And it's crazy because um, I took my daughter when she was in high school for the first time to Africa, and we went to Gulu. Then when she finished mm-hmm. college, she applied to work for IJM, International Justice Mission. Mm-hmm. And out of all the places in the world, they sent her to Gulu. Which um, is awesome. She didn't request that. It was just like, this is where we're sending you. And um, so it seems like the Lord keeps bringing me back yeah. around to that crazy community. The first time I was there was... Shortly after Coney had um, left the country, I think he maybe had run north to Sudan before he ended up in the Congo, but mm-hmm. uh, the Invisible Children mm-hmm. documentary um, had just taken place, and Guli was getting a little bit of stability, but it was still kind of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. And um, It was awesome. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, it's like you don't go anywhere without an armed guard. Right. And um, we did not have an armed guard. No. No. So, uh, Why bother? <laughs> you have the Lord, <laughs> the only armed guard. We're in the need. Lord's army. That's right. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've been back mm-hmm. many times since, and um, just recently. Yeah, you the just last got back. Two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you went and saw Maggie. What's changed the most about Gulu since you were last there? Uh, boy, there's a lot that's changed. Uh, the development, the mm-hmm. some of the roads are paved now. Hmm. Which is pretty exciting. There, did you drive it? Uh, did you drive Kampala at all? No, no. I jumped on a plane in Kampala and flew up to uh, Gulu. Okay, but that doesn't mean that we did not spend time in cars. We spent oh, a yes. lot of time in cars. Um, <laughs> not on paved roads. Uh, some on paved roads. Okay, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so the roads are a lot of the roads are paved. There's a lot more people in mm-hmm. Gulu than there was 15 years ago. Um, there's a lot more civility. There's Society's kind of moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's more opportunities for businesses and people to create lives there. It's not as mm-hmm. third world as it was you mm-hmm. know, when I first went there. But one of the things that's really exciting is that there's um, the NGOs have always been there since mm-hmm. you know probably 2000 plus. But um, now there's a lot of people that are moving there that are really bringing a lot of imagination and creativity and innovation, not just relief, but they're trying to create opportunities for community renewal, hmm. economic renewal. It's really exciting to see yeah. some of their dreams and actually how some of those dreams are reality. That wasn't there when we first met. Did you go to the ice cream place? The ice cream place. It's one of the. That's one of the coolest parts of of Gulu these days. What? So yeah. I went to the yogurt place. Is that the same uh, thing? Yeah. Is the they ice make cream? ice cream. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. They freeze it. Wow. Their yogurt. But it's an awesome, I love that facility and the, the ministry of that. They're actually building a new facility right next to Elefante's, the restaurant there. Mm-hmm. They are shipping in some of the shipping containers and converting them to a manufacturing center. Oh, yeah. Um, so that they can have everything on the same campus there. and Wow. Yeah, that's exciting what they're that's doing. That's awesome. 
What kind of yogurt did you have? I did not have any yogurt. Oh, you didn't have any. I'm very selective about what I put in my body when I go to Africa. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. And uh, if I don't, uh, you know, I I have this policy. If I have hesitation, then I give myself permission to hold off. Yes. So so I did not try the yogurt. Not that it probably would have been great. Did you eat any street food? Uh, Did we? uh, A couple of Rolexes. That's about it. And for those that don't know, the Rolex is basically a egg burrito uh, that they make mm-hmm. on the streets, mm-hmm. which with chapati or with like a tortilla. Chapati, okay. yeah, kind of their bread um, mm-hmm. tortilla shell. Uh-huh. Um, yummy, yummy. Mm-hmm. But what they need is Tabasco sauce and mayonnaise, and then it would make that perfect. Right. I don't know that I would. I could do mayonnaise from Uganda. Well, no, I'm talking okay, about probably <laughs> maybe your own little packets. Carry your own travel packets. Yeah. <laughs> travel packets, ma'am. That's right. I had my little instant Starbucks that I brought with me. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That you run out of after about the third day. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you always need like three times as many amounts of coffee there as you do here. It's true. But I don't usually pack that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, where all did you and Maggie explore? You went up north, right? Murchison Falls, did you go? We did not. We uh, went to Sippy Falls, oh. which is the east side of Uganda. It's kind of fun for those that don't know. There's not a lot of public transportation that gets you around Uganda, so we rented a car, mm-hmm. and that car comes with a driver. Mm-hmm. And the driver drives us for seven hours across the country of Uganda to the mountains of Uganda, which was great fun. We got there and stayed at the Sippy Falls, um, I forget the name of the resort. And when I say resort, um, I'm not calling it a first world resort. This is not a beach in Florida. No, this is, (laughs) it's simpler um, Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It's very uh, well-maintained and the people were incredible and the food was good. And it got Maggie out of the heat of the desert of Gulu up into the mountains where you actually got to sleep under a cover at night. And that felt nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we hiked the falls and spent time with the locals and spent a lot of time just sitting under trees reading and having long, unhurried conversations. Good. Hmm. Yeah. Good. Then we went to Rhino Camp. Yes. Talk about Rhino Camp. That was not a paved road experience. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Tito who is the mm-hmm. National uh, yeah. Director of Sudan for African Leadership, right? Yep. Country Director, yep. Yep. He uh, and his uh, companion and, and fellow African Leadership employee, Jananis. Janani. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Janani? Okay, well, Everybody I, has a different interpretation. Sorry, Jananis. I, <laughs> I called you that for a whole day. <laughs> Which probably made that 12 hours in the car seem even longer. (laughs) This American can't get your name right. I can't spell it. Every time I send him an email, I spell it differently. Well, I made him spell it for me, and I wrote it down before we left the hotel that morning. And And he put an S in it? And he, I thought he put it, I'll have to go get my journal. Now, granted... It would be like him to play tricks on people and change his name every time. <laughs> I hope he Not did. kidding. I'm going back I mean, to Google just to. <laughs> He's with Tito and Jeffrey all day. I mean, why would you not? Those guys are hilarious. Mm-hmm. And they truly are. so much fun just to watch the two of them laugh, mm-hmm. you know, and while we're 
Because it rained the night before we left. So the, the rainy season, it hadn't worse. rained in Gulu for three months. Uh-huh. And the rainy season is coming, which it has come. And um, so it rained the night before. So the <laughs> roads were wet and slippery, and we're sliding on these dirt roads everywhere oh, we gosh. go. And uh, Jananis or <laughs> Janany. Janany or Bert, let's call <laughs> let's him Bert. Call him Bert. <clears throat> Was saying, no, this is really better. This is great driving. And I'm like sliding sideways down a road. Does it feel like <laughs> better, safe driving? But he was excited about it. So we got in the car and drove six and a half hours north of Ajamani. My favorite part is that uh, I had called Tito a couple of weeks before Randy uh-huh. gets there and said, hey, I really do want him to see the work you're doing in the refugee camp. Uh-huh. It's a two-hour trip. To the closest portion of the refugee camp. I did not clarify. (laughs) I did not clarify which part of the refugee camp to take him to. And I maybe should have. So you ended up on the six hour trip across the Nile. Wow. Instead of the two hour trip. Well, Tito, I would literally storm the gates of hell with him with a squirt gun. Cause he's the coolest. If he said, let's go, I'm like, bro, That's wherever you're awesome. going, I'll go. Mm-hmm. But he did not clarify in the hotel parking <laughs> lot that morning because we thought we were going to Ajumani. So I told my daughter, oh, we'll be back by early afternoon. Yep. So we had made plans with some of her friends. And in the parking lot, he goes, hey, you know, we're going to go to Rhino City or Rhino Camp. And uh, I'm like, well, okay. I mean, that's <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. That's like, uh, you know, we're going to go One visit Bert. Over. That doesn't right? mean anything. <laughs> I would. So <laughs> I had no idea that was a six and a half hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we go north until we completely leave all vestiges of civilization behind mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. into the wild, uh, unsettled bush of Uganda, get on a ferry and cross the Nile River. Uh, on a ferry boat that yeah, looked like it was straight boat. out of some CNN report, you know. <laughs> Did you feel safe on the No, <laughs> no. When we got on, I told my daughter, she sat down next to me, and I said, okay, now you may think I'm silly, but you need to listen to me for a minute because you see where the life jackets are. <laughs> I was a lifeguard growing up uh-huh. in high school and college, so I'm about to teach you how to survive, and if this – Ferry tips over. Mm-hmm. And so, Are you, do you have your car? Yes, our our car is on the ferry, and along oh, no. with an eighteen wheeler and oh, no. just about twenty other cars. Oh my goodness! So it oh, was no. yeah, it was a bit crazy. So she kept asking me how. So how do I avoid getting eaten by crocodiles? And find I the was, closest hippo. I, <laughs> <laughs> Good. It's well, good. you're dead. Swim and pray. Swim and pray. I actually heard that hippos are more dangerous. They're very dangerous, but mm-hmm. they will kill a crocodile. So I guess you just pick your battle. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Mm-hmm. So yes, we crossed the Nile and, successfully. Uh, yes, and it was not missed on me that um, we are preaching through the Book of Exodus right now, and mm-hmm. I just preached on the Nile turning to blood. I'm like, wow, this is significant. So we got over the Nile, and uh, a few hours later, we ended up in this refugee camp of uh, folks from Sudan mm-hmm. who have fled the war in Sudan. And, uh, you know, just the stories we heard going up there of people that have lost everything they had, their livelihood, uh, their lives, their possessions, their family. Many of them have been traumatized and abused mm-hmm. and assaulted. Um, 
just brutal stories of how they ended up there and the kind of life they were living now mm-hmm. um, on limited resources, uh, completely um, dependent upon organizations that are bringing grain and food. Um, in many cases, it's not enough mm-hmm. for healthy life, mm-hmm. but they're hanging on. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up in Rhino Camp where there is a uh, beautiful man, Joshua, who is um, dedicated his life to training pastors in a two-year seminary-style training curriculum to equip pastors to preach the gospel and to mm-hmm. spread the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, we walked into his class, and uh, in that class was 12 to 15 men that have dedicated themselves to be in the program. Mm-hmm. So it was quite the experience to uh, to know, one, that these all these men were sitting around for hours waiting for us to show up, mm-hmm. and two, um, the deep appreciation they had to the Lord for His goodness to them, mm-hmm. that they could be in a class like this and mm-hmm. be equipped for what God has called them to. Yeah. Which in the context of my first world mm-hmm. experience, it's hard to put that kind of gratitude in the category of what I understand. Right. But I do understand it, and I know most of us do, But and we hope to God we never get to the point to where we have to understand it through their circumstance. Right. But um, it was deeply moving to to hear what the Lord was doing in their lives and what mm-hmm. he was preparing them for. Yeah. I remember the first time I sat with Tito in a refugee camp like that, and and the comments were, look, you know, two years ago in our home village, we were spending our days trying to find our food and trying to fix our huts and all these other things. And what the war did for us was it it, it moved us into a place where other organizations were willing to take on putting a roof over our heads or providing us daily bread, which means now what we have is the time to study the Word of God. And I remember thinking, man, what a perspective shift, um, just to consider that what the Lord brings into our story, uh, the circumstances that don't seem to make life easier or simple, uh, could be places where the Lord's giving us the gift of um, time with Him mm. and in giving us an opportunity to explore what He is, what He's calling us into and giving us an, in the moment in order to go home. I mean, mm-hmm. they were all looking forward to the day they go home mm-hmm. and have this skill set that mm. they didn't have before. And Tito's big about kind of always reframing the narrative for for me and for a lot of our staff around the idea that so often where we see discouragement and suffering and, um, and shortcoming is a place where God's giving us opportunity if we yeah. look differently at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you got to experience it was so powerful for me because the kind of things that they talked about when they talked about what they were doing and what they were led to, like Joshua, who was the teacher, mm-hmm. uh, was talking about his own sacrifices mm-hmm. and how far he had to walk. And he's an older guy. Like he had to walk six miles to one class that he teaches another, mm-hmm. a half-day walk away. And he talks about it as if it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we think, wow, you know, that there's such a deep commitment mm-hmm. to what the Lord has called them to that what we would consider great sacrifices, they consider the normality of right. uh, their lives. And it, it's really challenging to my own thought about ministry. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask you how spending time with these African pastors has inspired your own calling as a pastor when you come back. You know, I think that in America, we, in our Western mindset, we really have this deep sense that the church is so much more than the believers that are gathered together to worship the Lord. The church is a building and it's this mega organization Mm. and it's this place with a budget and, you know, secretaries and staff. And and so we tend to overcomplicate so much Mm. of what the work of the gospel really is. Mm. And so when I sit with these men, it it, it really inspires and re-inspires the truth that the gospel is the work of Christ, yeah. that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the true ministry, mm. that everything that we add to that never substitutes mm. the power of the gospel. That is the only thing that actually sets people free and changes their lives. And these men have nothing but the Word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, Christ in them, the hope of glory. And isn't it funny for me to say they have nothing but? And yet when I list those things, you realize oh, they they have everything they need for life and godliness. Yeah. And so when I come back, it one, it helps me reorganize my life around the truth that I truly believe about mm. the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, challenges me not to get overwhelmed by the things that are unimportant. Mm-hmm. And stay on the things that truly are important. Yeah. So. Totally. Yeah. Hmm. Are they teaching trauma at that class yet? You know, if they were, uh, they didn't mention it. Okay. Um, I know that that's a big one for Tito, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine that anything he's involved in that he's not doing that. Really, we just talked about the books and the mm-hmm. seminary training, and partly because we were delivering the next phase of books. Oh, cool. So it's when, substantial. I mean, did you open up those books? We we had six and a half hours on the way up to go through every one of them. They're great. They're fantastic books. They're like substantial books. work. They are. They really are. That's mm-hmm. It's a seminary class, literally, uh-huh. that these men are getting exposed to. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, a seminary education, because um, yeah. it'll take them two years to go through this. Yeah. It's impressive what they are committed to. It is. In the circumstances that they're in. You know, I think it's really impressive that the Lord has used African leadership to bring resources like that for years to mm-hmm. places like Rhino Camp, mm-hmm. where um, where these guys are getting something they normally would have absolutely no access to mm-hmm. that kind of training and developing. Mm-hmm. And these are men that I think deeply love the Lord and have been changed by the Lord, but boy, to be a pastor and to teach when you've not been equipped in that, uh, some of the things that they're teaching and believing are like wacky towns. Right. So for some of them, mm-hmm. for them to be sitting under really deep mm-hmm. theological training to help them understand what the truth is so that they, it's changing the whole direction for churches right. and mm-hmm. for the people that they're leading. It's so exciting to be able to hear story after story just like that. Mm-hmm. The latest statistic is that 95% of rural pastors around the world have no access to education. So right. they're... I mean, can you imagine? They're just preaching from part of, some of them don't even have a whole book, a whole Bible. They're preaching what they think they know, and and it can, like you said, get really wacky. I've sat in some rooms and thought, yeah, I don't know that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's not true of my God. It's not in the Bible. um, 
Yeah, and so then then to get to be a part of something where, you know, I think the latest numbers that Emily was running last week are all about, you know, 70,000 graduates across the continent in the last 20 years. It's Unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy to think about what that and then what that means right. um, in the mm-hmm. life of a community. Because uh, it, it goes, it goes beyond. It goes so far beyond that one man sitting right. in that room. We just got a story the other day from Congo about a a man who um, was fleeing the war in in kind of this rebel territory in the eastern part of Congo. Landed in an IDP camp outside of Goma and ran into one of our pastors and and, and teachers in in the IDP camp. And um, he he and his wife moved into the IDP camp with four kids. Hmm. And over the course of the first couple of years of them being there, lost all four of their kids um, to different Hmm. health problems and issues. And just his devastation, just I'm Hmm. done, everything's been taken from me, I have no future. Um, Wife continued to encourage him and she started gathering women and this group of 12 women started gathering in their home. He bumps into our teacher at the camp and signed up for classes and turned that group of 12 women into a church congregation of 120 in this IDP camp. And it's just it's remarkable to just hear story after story about how the Lord is at work amidst all of the hardship that is constantly across the entire continent. You know, mm-hmm. cyclones yeah, I, in Malawi, it's craziness. <laughs> It's, uh, I think what is so shocking, and, and it's hard to, it's, we're, we hear so much of this mm-hmm. that we have really become numb to the reality that um, I spend more on lunch today than um, what it would cost to help one of those guys mm-hmm. through a semester of books. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. And we hear that kind of stuff all the time, and right. we just kind of go numb to it. But when you meet these people face-to-face and you realize... You guys are going back to to what a country has been through war, mm-hmm. and you're going back to plant churches to proclaim the gospel, which the gospel always mm-hmm. brings renewal, not just individually, but also mm-hmm. culturally. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there going, if if we wanted to change the world, I don't necessarily know how we can necessarily do that specifically, but I know how we could change Sudan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if... If we were right. committed to facilitating, equipping, and then sending these men yeah. back to their country whenever the Lord opens that door, the impact would be insurmountable. I think you would mm-hmm. have stories like you just told. Mm-hmm. All over. Yeah, all over the place. And these guys, like, I would die to have a mm-hmm. dozen guys on my staff that are that passionate about, and we do at Midtown, but give me a Give me a dozen more that are that passionate about seeing the gospel mm-hmm. go forth and the power of Christ to change lives. Right. Hmm. It's so transformative that you're, you you stand in the room with these men and you think, oh, we actually could change all of right. Sudan. Right. Hmm. It's, it's just a powerful message, and they're so passionate about it. It's all they have. It's what they lean into and draw from. Yeah, I think that over the years of being in ministry, and I've participated with a thousand different organizations mm. as anybody in ministry does, you begin to realize that you're you're not really investing in a vision uh, of an organization. You're investing in people. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I said, you know, wherever Tito wants to go, I'll go because mm-hmm. here's a guy who um, not just loves the Lord, but the integrity that he brings to what he does, but also the wisdom that he brings mm. and who he is and the joy that he brings to what he does. 
It's just exciting to see a man who is very good at what God's called him to do mm-hmm. and very passionate about doing it. Um, so I'm pretty excited about the future of the church in Sudan. Yeah. Southern too. Sudan. Yeah. Yes. South Sudan, yes. as it is now <laughs> referred to. Do you have any war stories from Africa? Like, of all your trips, what stands out as the most horrific, I might not survive this experience you had? <laughs> well, there's always the story of me uh, falling off the top of well, a yes, van and shattering my collarbone. In a safari and park, correct? We were in a safari park, yes. And, uh, but I didn't know it was my collarbone that was broke, so I thought I was dying and <laughs> I was going to die and be buried in the... <clears throat> So when they're taking me into the hospital in Kampala, all I'm telling my friends is don't let them stick me with any needles. <laughs> don't let them. If I go out, if I black out, just get me out of here. So uh, then there's always the story that everybody has of food that they've eaten oh, or yeah. critters that they wake up in the middle of the night that mm-hmm. are crawling across uh-huh. your room or, mm-hmm. you know, all those stories if you ever go to Africa. But uh, the sweetest thing is that I think that um, you realize it changes your perspective Mm -hmm. in a beautiful way. So I've been talking to my daughter this week, and um, they've been without power since Tuesday. Wow. No way. They have. So that means... uh, She's living the 10th or 9th plague? She That's (laughs) right. Living in the darkness. (laughs) Well, what that means is that there's no electricity. They didn't have air conditioning anyway, and the heat's been up close to 100 Mm -hmm. It means you have no fan that can blow on you at night. But what it also means is after about three days, uh, you have no water. Mm. So uh, they've not been able to shower or bathe. And um, they just got their electricity back on last night. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, she was telling me about it as if she was just telling me about Mm. her morning. She wasn't complaining about it. She wasn't. It's normal life. And I asked her about that, and she said, well, she goes, you kind of realize that there are only a few things that you really need uh, Mm. to make your day full. And uh, she goes, now, water is kind of high on the list. (laughs) But uh, it's changed her perspective. And I think when you go, you you begin to realize that there there are people there that are experiencing a joy that's Mm -hmm. separate from what we consider, what you have to have to have joy. And... um, Maybe it just allows us to let go just a little bit more, find that place where we can be a little bit more present and silent Mm -hmm. with ourselves and with the Lord and really begin to hear a different narrative to our lives than the narrative that's being shouted at us all the time and really experience the kind of freedom that makes us adventurers Hmm. and daring to believe that God wants to really do great things through us as Mm -hmm. his kids while we're here on this planet Um, and just behold the wonder of his glory as he works through us and in us. So I think getting outside our comfort zone and going to a place like that always kind of reawakens me to the narrative that he's telling in my life and huh. hungering for it more and more. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Quite an adventure to play. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Good. Cool. I'm glad you had a good trip. Welcome back. Good to be back. When are you heading back? You have plans? Wow, you know, I'd love to put that on my calendar uh, every year. So, uh, so maybe African leadership can help empower me to go back. And um, well, Fletch is so. I think the only thing about these babies that he has referred to negatively is that it ruined his trip 
to Tito's house in March. So, um, yeah, Rob leaned over to me during the sermon last week and said, when are we going? And I said, I think the three of us are going to go in March. Well, I heard there was some really significant news in Sudan this morning. And um, I haven't looked it up yet. Somebody called me last night and said, hey, I think there's been a political change in Sudan. the Arab Spring and... So I don't know anything about... All I know is I'm praying for peace in Sudan, Mm -hmm. that... um, that the church now can be awakened to its call to plant churches there. I think it's going to be amazing. So, yeah, I want to go back and be a part of that. Yeah. And so... I haven't um, been to Sudan. Have you been? I mean, I landed once in Sudan, but like I haven't been in... I haven't explored the actual country of Sudan. Have you? That's... Wow, that's crazy because you've been to more countries in Africa than I have, and I've not been to Sudan. So maybe... There you go. Have let's, these babies and let's take let's the, babies these babies no, 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 the babies to Sudan. No, no, no. We're leaving the babies. Leave the kids. That's let's the new kids. names for the babies. If you have a boy and a Sudan girl, and South Sue Sudan? and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. There that's you go. Good. All right. Yeah, don't tell my parents. Okay, okay let's go. Right. Susan and Daniel. There you go. Let's do it. All right. Is Fallon going with us? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm go. going. If the babies are going, I'm going. No, I'm not taking babies. What if That's we brought the babies boring. and I could be like the nanny for the babies? I don't want nine-month-olds with me. <laughs> I just want a five-year-old. They would be the That's coolest it. kids traveling to Sudan. You will be in a different airplane than me. <laughs> okay, fair. I'm not doing that flight with little people. Uh, fair, yeah. fair. Let's do it. Cool. You can come. Just don't be the nanny. I'm well, ready. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Great to be great. here with you guys. Yeah, yeah. perfect. All four of you. So fun. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our episode for today, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple iTunes and leaving us some reviews, some ratings, leave some comments. We would really appreciate that. That's actually super helpful. And as always, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We want to connect with y'all. So for Mocha Club, it's at Mocha Club. And for African Leadership, it's at African Leadership. Thanks so much, friends. We'll see you next week.